We're currently in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to turn to Luke 6, I'm going to give you a quick catch-up. Luke's Gospel, as any Gospel is, are, are very important for our faith as Christians. As we come to a Gospel, we understand that Jesus, the Creator of the universe, is coming into the world and living amongst us. God with us, as uh, we sing during Christmas season, we talk about Emmanuel. Jesus is living amongst the people who he has uh, had so much relationship with for all of eternity, and God now interacts with the people that he has created, the people that he loves. John says his own people, he's with them. And so we look at this as the creator has come down into the creation in this huge act that people might not fully understand, and that's okay, I don't fully understand it yet, and uh, I think that's part of the mystery of God is that Jesus somehow becomes a man, lives among us, and we see that Jesus last week chose 12 disciples. So he chooses these 12 disciples, and it says he goes down, and Pastor Ron talked about this plane that he goes on. Uh, in, in Luke, it talks about this plane, and we can have debate or discussion about the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount. Not really very important for this, but we're going to look at this as uh, similar to Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's not the same as we're going to see today. So Jesus chooses 12 disciples. He comes uh, and begins this Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount, talking to his disciples. Uh, We're going to give a little bit more background on that in a second. But it's important to keep in mind that Jesus has created things, and there's a way that the world's supposed to work, and there's a way Jesus wants his people to live. He knows that better than anyone, and so he's going to start to give that to us in Luke 6. How many of you have seen a ketchup bottle like this? Glass ketchup bottles. Notoriously, glass ketchup bottles have been really difficult to get ketchup out of, right? I, I've been to restaurants and you see people like sticking their knife in there and, and stirring around, which makes you not want to use that ketchup ever again. Uh, you see people smacking the bottom and nothing comes out and then it all comes out at once. Uh, the air and the way that it works in the ketchup bottle, it doesn't really come out easily when you turn it upside down like any other bottle. The, the creator of this ketchup bottle, Heinz, actually made a way for you to use the ketchup bottle well. Does anyone know that way? Yeah, there's, there's a 57 on the side. There's ingrained 57s, and if you hit, the, I wouldn't recommend karate chopping a glass bottle, it's going to hurt your hand. Uh, there's a 57 on the side. If you hit the 57, the ketchup comes out. So if you're at lunch later, you can use that and use the heel of your hand. I hope that's not your takeaway from the sermon, but it's pretty cool. The, the creator of the bottle designed it like this um, and made this bottle so that you can get ketchup out easily, yet people don't really understand that that's how it's supposed to work. People don't understand that that's how uh, the ketchup's supposed to come out. Very similarly, we come to this passage in Luke, and the disciples have lived in the world their whole lives. They're not aliens. Um, they've lived here. They're part of this world. And they understand a certain way the world works. In fact, if we can relate this to us. We understand the certain way the world works. We're taught to be successful, to chase after money, to get good things, to get a lot of friends, and to be popular. That's what we're kind of subtly taught. Disciples have a lot of things they've been taught as well. They have things like money and uh, food and clothes and material possessions and making sure everyone speaks well of you. These things the disciples have been taught and ingrained that these are the most important things that they could possibly achieve or attain. Jesus 
begins to flip the world upside down. That's just a black screen. He begins to address disciples and flip the world upside down. Jesus just does this over and over in the Gospels, continues to flip the world over. You've heard it said, but I say to you, is a popular saying of Jesus. Jesus now addresses the disciples, and it begins in Luke 6.20 with a word. What's the first word in Luke 6.20? Blessed. Oh, it's not. I'm sorry. And he came to his disciples, and he addressed his disciples, and he said, blessed. Blessed is not a word we usually use, and so I'm going to need to flesh this out a little bit for you. Hopefully you don't go around saying blessed are the ones who come into my house for that just sounds really weird. We don't use that anymore. Uh, it's cool if you want to use that, though. That's fine. I'm not going to be mad at you for that. Uh, Jesus says, blessed. Now, we have to flesh this out because blessed doesn't really make too much sense to us. Uh, originally, blessed, the word can mean either happy or blessed. And again, happy kind of carries a lot of baggage for us, too. Uh, we have the pursuit of happiness in America, and we just want everyone to be happy, and I just want him or her to be happy. I want my friends to be happy, and I just love being happy. Really not sure what that means anymore these days. Really not sure that's something we should pursue, but that's another sermon. Uh, Happy doesn't make as much sense. So when we look at this and we understand the context, it looks like the word blessed here really means something like fortunate or a word that has a lot of baggage, lucky. Uh, Lucky is a, a word I hesitate to use because it's Uh, associated with things like gambling or things like chance. And we understand that God is not a God of chance, that God is sovereign and purposes things. But when I say lucky, I mean it's like when you see somebody with, hypothetically, a convertible car, and you're like, wow, you're so lucky to own that. Now, they didn't just, by chance, get that car. It wasn't like they were walking and all of a sudden, like, oh, I got a car all of a sudden, and it's a convertible. Um, It just means, wow, that's so fortunate for you. Wow, you're so privileged to own that. Uh, fortunate, privilege. That's the kind of word I want you to keep in mind as we look through the word blessed here in the Beatitudes. Jesus starts off, he lifts up his eyes to his, depo- his disciples and he says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, my first point is that it's good to be f- poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Kind of just repeating what Jesus said. It's pretty straightforward there. You'll notice in your worship folder, there's not notes, by the way. I apologize for that. Since the Awana insert is my insert for Awana, you can write on the back of that one, and you can uh, fill out these seven points that we're going to have in some application if you want to do that. If you want to just listen, that's cool too. Uh, Jesus says it's good to be poor. Now, it's important to remember he's addressing the disciples. There's a huge crowd there, but he turns to his disciples, his disciples who have just left everything. They've just given up um, any money they had, which probably wasn't too much. They've given up families. They've given up um, material possessions, houses. They've given up careers. And they've decided to follow Jesus. So Jesus looks at them, and his first words to them in Luke is, Blessed are you. Fortunate are you if you're poor. Fortunate are you if you're poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. The Matthew account says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, Luke is very intentional here, I'd argue, to not use in spirit. I think that Luke is trying to get a different point across and broadening the subject and saying, blessed are you when you're poor, not just merely in spirit, not merely with finances, but blessed are you when you're lacking. Blessed are you when you're in need. Blessed are you when you're poor. 
for yours is the kingdom of God. This doesn't really make sense, right? Blessed are you when you are poor. We look at people who are in deep need, and sometimes on TV they'll flash images of uh, people who need our money, people who need our support. And we don't look at them like, wow, how fortunate. You know, those people who are in need and lacking, they are so fortunate to be in need and lacking. Man, if only I could be like them and be in need and lacking. Jesus says, however, we need to not have a temporary mindset that only focuses on this earth. We need to look at the people who are poor and say, that's fortunate for them. That's fortunate that they're not going to be distracted by the things of this world. That they're not going to be walking around saying, I have so much money and I don't really need to depend on anyone. Or I have so so many friends, I have so much um, material possession, I don't really have any need to depend on God. When things go well, we as Christians know this, that it's easy to forget to be thankful to God. It's easy to forget that God is the one who's helping us. God is the one who's directing us. God's the one who is sovereign and in control. And it's easy to forget, wait a minute, maybe we should be thankful to God for this. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know how you just gave up everything? You know how you don't have any money anymore? That's really fortunate for you. That's really good. For yours is the kingdom of God. You can focus eternally now because you're not bogged down by these material possessions. You're not bogged down by your money or your status. So good that you're poor. Now, some of you college students in the room who are poor are probably thinking, cool, so I'm in because I eat ramen seven times a week. Um, Not what Jesus is referring to here. Uh, Jesus is not referring to, man, if you can only eat ramen, um, you're, you're good, you're set. Jesus is referring to a much broader category of poor here in need, lacking. Uh, He's talking to the disciples who just gave up everything, who are poor. It's fortunate for them that they're poor. It's good to be poor. It's good to be hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. It's good to be in want. It's good to be in need. It's good to hunger. That song, Hungry, that we sang this morning, which... Joshua and the worship team did so well leading us in. Uh, that song, Hungry, really points to this idea of, Hungry, I come to you for I know you satisfy. You're the one who satisfies. You're the one who fills. You're the one who causes me to not hunger anymore. So this idea that uh, Matthew says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, Luke broadens here and says, blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied Uh, He says not just merely food, not merely hungry for knowledge, but hungry for the truth, hungry for God, hungry for Jesus, wanting to be filled up by him. Blessed are you who are hungry. Fortunate are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied that God's the only one who satisfies. It's good that you desire to know Jesus more. It's good that you desire to grow in your relationship with him. It's good that you desire to be filled by Jesus, by God. He looks at these disciples who have agreed to follow him, who've agreed to learn from him, who've agreed to enter into life with him, and he says, it's fortunate that you're hungry. It's good that you're hungry, that you're here, that you want to know me more, because you're going to be satisfied. Uh, A difficult way to look at this is Jesus doesn't really care about the hungry. Um, That might be one of your implications. It's, okay, cool. 
So if somebody's hungry, Jesus will walk up to them and be like, man, you're fortunate, and they keep going. That's not at all what Jesus does. That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, you'll remember him feeding 5,000 people on one occasion and 4,000 on another occasion. Jesus does care about people's needs and concerns on this earth. He's just saying that it's fortunate if you're hungry because you can be focused toward heaven. It's good that you can seek uh, things in heaven, seek things above, not just merely be satisfied with things on earth. If you've ever been into a grocery store when you're hungry, uh, you know that you are just constantly looking for things and grabbing things and your cart's full. If you're in a grocery store after you've eaten, it's a lot different because you are not as hungry and you're not searching to fill with all kinds of different things. In a similar way, if you are seeking to be filled by things of this world, if we're seeking to be filled by things, um, by things like media, entertainment, sports, Dodgers fans, I'm sorry this week you weren't filled or satisfied by your hunger for a World Series. I was rooting for you, but, I mean, you weren't filled. Um, If we seek to be filled by these things and just distracted by them, we're not going to be satisfied. I mean, even if the Dodgers were to win the World Series, you'd be like, well, there's next year, so we should win two in a row, and then three, and then 25, and beat the Yankees, um, which is a godly thing to do. Uh, (laughs) It's good to be hungry. It's good to seek being satisfied, not merely in things of this world, not being distracted by those things, but to be filled in God. This is something that our culture doesn't teach us, by the way. Our culture teaches us you need to be full. You need to have friends. You need to be surrounded by people in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be lacking. You're not going to be cool. And that's really the status here. You need to be cool. You need to be important. You need to be liked by people. You need to be satisfied. Fill yourself up. Uh, maybe you're not in the place where you agree with that, that you're like, no, I'm, I'm hungry. I, I, I long to be satisfied by God. Sometimes the way that we fill ourselves is with things like social media, things like Netflix, things like um, TV, putting things into our head, distracting ourselves with things that aren't important so that we never get a moment alone where we never have to actually think about what we're going through in our lives. We never actually have to think about pursuit of God, but rather we can just be distracted and led astray by things like um, Netflix or social media, things which can be good things used for the glory of God, uh, but they can also be distractions that, that lead us to be filled by things of this world and not by God. It's good to cry, for you will laugh. Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Um, This is not something that Jesus does either, where he goes to people who are crying and is like, well, it's fortunate for you because one day you're going to laugh. good example of that is in Luke 11, where Jesus sees Mary and Martha crying over the death of their brother Lazarus. And he goes up to them and he's not like, well, this is awesome because you're going to laugh one day. No, Jesus goes in with them and sits in the midst of their crying and their pain and cries with them. Of course he knows that one day they're going to laugh. He's God. He's eternal. But he sits with them in that moment and says, no, I I, I can sit here with you. I can cry with you. I know that. Jesus says, it's good to cry for one day you will laugh. It's fortunate that you're crying now for one day you will laugh. It's good to go through pain. 
It's good to go through these difficulties in life. For one day, God will literally remove these things from us. Revelation 21 talks about that, where he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. Death will be no more, neither will there be crying, no mourning, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus talks about this here. It's fortunate that you're crying now, for one day you will laugh in eternity with me. Again, the disciples just left everything. It would be a reasonable response for them to cry. It would be reasonable for them to think about things that they used to have and mourn the loss of those, because they gave up everything. Peter mentions that later. Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Jesus says, surely your reward will be great in heaven. Be focused eternally, Peter. Be focused eternally, AJ. Your reward one day will be great in heaven. It's good. It's fortunate that they're crying now. It's fortunate that they've mourned the loss of these things now. For one day, they will laugh. It's good to be... Oh, that's a table. Um... Oh, yeah, actually, I know what that's for. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. On the back, it says it's good to be hated. I'm like, oh, cool. Um, I had the privilege of going on dates with my grandma every other week before she passed, um, up until that last year when she was alive. And, and I'd uh, play songs on my iPod for her, and even though she didn't fully understand how iPods worked, she loved the music and enjoyed listening to it with me. Um, we got to bond over a few different songs. Um, songs like It Is Well were played, and she'd listen to It Is Well and, and cry along to the music, thinking about one day in eternity when it will be well with her soul. Um, another song that we listened to together was called Save a Place for Me uh, by Matthew West. I don't know if you guys know of Matthew West or this song, but it's a great song. Uh, it talks about mourning the loss of somebody and asking them to save a place for him in heaven because he'll be there soon. And my grandma's crying along to this song, and she looks at me, and she says, you know, that's what I said to Aunt Tommy. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I asked her when she was passing to save a place for me, because I'm going to be there soon. One day I'll be there with her. She's mourned the loss of her former sister-in-law, and she's told her, hey, one day I'm going to laugh with you in heaven. One day I'm going to be there with you. Um, I'll be there soon, so save a place for me. Uh, that was a beautiful picture to me of what it means to cry for the difficult things um, and to look forward to one day, hey, this is all going to pass. This pain's going to be gone. I can laugh with you one day in heaven because I know this to be true. I know that there's been some deaths in this room recently and difficult things have happened, um, deaths in families. Um, I just want to encourage you that uh, we know that we mourn now, but one day Jesus will remove that. One day Jesus will take that away. It's good to mourn. It's good to cry. Um, but Jesus one day promises that those of us who believe in him will spend eternity with him where we will laugh. This isn't going to be forever. This isn't going to be forever if we believe in Jesus. All right, here we go. It's good to be hated for the sake of the gospel, for your reward is great in heaven. I put for the sake of the gospel in there in parentheses for a good reason. Let me read this verse to you. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in the day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. We live in an age where we talk about, um, my generation, I'll just be more specific, we talk about haters all the time. I don't know if you guys have heard that. We talk about the haters aren't going to get us down and 
The haters aren't going to drag us away. And toxic people in my life, I'm going to cut them out because I'm too good for that. And that is terrible, by the way. Don't do that. Um, my argument for that is that Jesus needs to use you to reach those people. Those people have eternal souls, too. Um, different situations with sin in the church, but point is you can't just randomly burn bridges. I don't think that that's how the gospel or things work. Um, you can't just randomly kick out the haters because they don't like you. It's good to be hated for the sake of the gospel, for your reward is great in heaven. For the sake of the gospel is important because you can be hated for being a jerk, and that's not rewarding. You should not be rewarded for that. If you're a jerk to people and they hate you, guess what? That's your compensation. You've been compensated fully for that. Um, It's good to be hated for the sake of the gospel, a different situation and a different circumstance. Um, Jesus says, so they also did to the prophets. They hated the prophets too, remember that? Now, some of us in this room read this passage and we can't relate at all. We're like, hated for the sake of the gospel? I don't think I've ever been hated for the sake of the gospel. I don't think I've ever been to that place where people dislike me because I believe in the gospel. And if you've been in the church long enough, you probably know what I'm going to say next. You need to be in a position where you're standing firm for the faith in a place where people are going to dislike you. We live in a world right now where it's difficult to have an opinion on anything because opinions lead to arguments and lead to fights. And a lot of us aren't confrontational, and so we just would rather just remain silent and agree with everybody. Oh, that sounds, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds cool. Oh, yeah, I agree. I totally, even though that's not what we believe. We need to be willing to stand firm for something, especially for the gospel of Christ, just like the prophets stood firm for. I mean, we need to be willing to be hated for it. We need to be willing to go to that distance and say, no, this is actually what I believe. And the gospel is confrontational. The gospel says you are a sinner. You need a savior. You are not a good person, no matter what you say or think about yourself. The Bible says differently. You need a savior. That savior is Jesus. He's offered you help. He's offered you good news. He's offered you eternity. That's a confrontational message. You can't call somebody not a good person these days and not be labeled a hater. Um, But it's the truth. It's what the Bible says. It's this timeless truth that we've known for all of eternity. If you know yourself at all, you know that you're not a good person. If you're honest with yourself, maybe you try to do good things, but you know the, the depths of the wickedness of your heart. I know the depths and the wickedness of my heart. I know that I strive to be more like Jesus every day, but that sinful nature inside of me is difficult. I have that Romans 7 struggle that Paul talks about. These difficult things that we need to defeat and put to death, constantly be killing sin, John Owen says, or sin will be killing you. There's a good quote here. I don't know if you're going to be able to read this, but we'll hope. Uh, Winston Winston Churchill once said, You have enemies, good. That means you've stood up for something once in your life. He also said a lot of really random funny things if you get bored later. Um, But this one's good. Winston Churchill says, You have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something once in your life. At some point, you made a stand. At some point. Maybe it wasn't a good stand and they were justified enemies. Um... But maybe it was a good stand for the gospel of Christ. Maybe you made that decision and people dislike you. And it's a good thing. It's okay that people dislike you. That's a big truth that I need to understand. It's okay that people dislike you. Um, Something that I had to deal with too for a while was 
I just want everyone to like me. I want to be at peace with everyone. Romans 12 says, be at peace with all men so far as it depends on you. So I'm going to live like that. I'm going to be as, pos- as far possible as it depends on me. I'm going to live at peace with everyone, but some people are going to dislike you. That's just the nature of mankind. We'll continue on. Jesus finishes these beatitudes, and he goes into something called woes. Woe in the Bible is typically used for judgment. It's typically reserved for judgment. Jesus starts to pronounce woes on people. He knows that his disciples are listening. He knows that Judas is one of his disciples. And he also knows that the crowds are listening. So he continues on. It's dangerous to seek fulfillment in material possession. Sounds similar to our first blessed, our first beatitude. Kind of the flip side of it. We're going to have a few more illustrations on this portion. It's dangerous to seek fulfillment in material possessions. Uh, Luke 6:24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your compensation. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your compensation. Jesus says those of you who have lived in your status and just try to continue to attain things for yourself and to boost yourself up and aren't the kind of people who give, woe. He says, woe to you. That's not good. You've received your compensation. That's your reward. You got it. That's not a good thing. Um, Jesus isn't saying it's a bad thing to be um, rich in and of itself. It's a bad thing to be rich and have that be your end. There, there are rich people in the book of Acts who just continue to give to the church. Um, and that's the kind of person that Jesus wants. He wants somebody who, even though they have money, they give to the church. Jesus isn't interested in using your name to further his kingdom. He's interested in using your name to further his name. He wants you to be willing to submit to him and to further his name. This is why Jesus uses the runts, the, the disciples, the people who have been rejected, the marginalized of society to do things for him. They're not going to be carried along by their weight and then eventually succeed and switch and take all the glory. They're going to do things for his name, for his glory, for his purposes. It's dangerous to seek fulfillment in material possessions. We have lived in a stage recently, in the past few months, where we've seen a lot of natural disasters. This is the Sonoma, Napa Valley, Santa Rosa fire. A lot of people lost their homes. Hundreds of people, thousands of people, I believe, lost homes and and materials and things. And they had to face this truth of, my material possessions aren't what's important. What I have left is family. If I have family left, that's important. And not everybody lived like that. A few people uh, came out and were very displeased that they lost material things. They had so much investment in that. This is uh, Hurricane Harvey in Houston. Left a lot of people without homes, a lot of people without material possessions that they had grown up with. Um, mementos like from weddings and, and people's um, old pictures of family members gone. This guy's name is Jeremiah. I don't know if you guys saw this interview. It was kind of popular on some social media platforms amongst Christians. This guy's name is Jeremiah. He's walking with his son, Jeremiah Jr., out of, uh, through floodwater in Houston. And he says, to the pe- he says to the interviewer, yeah, we lost everything. We lost it all. And he's like, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God. He's like, God is good. It's like, I got my son and I got my family. We made it out. And we're okay. Um, He just continues to give glory to God in spite of losing all the material possessions he has. He did not put all his value in material possessions. He put his value in God. He put his value in the kingdom. 
And so he wasn't worried that he lost things. He wasn't worried about that. It says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. It's dangerous to find contentment apart from God. I mentioned this with things that we can fill ourselves with that can be distracting. Um, Things that can distract us from the truth of where we are in our lives, the truth of where we are in relationship to God. Uh, It's dangerous to fill ourselves with those. Because one day, we will be lacking. Um, It says, you shall be hungry. And he's speaking of eternity here. One day, eventually, even though you fill yourself with things now, you're going to be lacking. Because you didn't fill yourself with me. You weren't hungry for me, God says. It's dangerous to find contentment apart from anything other than God. This is uh, one of my favorite theologians, which high schoolers probably know too well by now. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he says this. He says, The life of discipleship can only be maintained as long as nothing is allowed to become between Christ and ourselves. Neither the law, nor personal piety, nor even the world. The disciple always looks only to his master, never to Christ and the law. Christ and religion, Christ and the world, only by following Christ alone can he preserve a single eye. Only by Christ alone can he preserve to save, can he save a single eye. Um, Bonhoeffer says you can't do Christ and, you can't do Christ with. It's Christ and him alone. Don't seek to be satisfied with Christ and other things. Jesus is cool, but I found this really cool technique where I can pray certain names of God, and that's awesome. Um, Jesus is cool, but I found this really way, cool way to manipulate God through prayer. Or Jesus is cool, and I found also um, something that Buddhists do that's really cool. That's called syncretism. You can't do Jesus and. You can't do Jesus and materials. Jesus and him alone. Be filled, filled by him and him alone. Next point is it's dangerous to hide. It's dangerous to hide. Um, we we have been going to church for a while. Some of us have been doing Christian things in church for a while. And I think that we have learned well how to hide things. How to smile through pain. How to put on a face and act like things are okay when they're not. Um, it's dangerous to play this game. It's dangerous. Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The context here is that people are laughing unjustifiably. It's not like, oh, you like to laugh with your friends? Woe to you, because you shall weep one day. No, um, this is similar to what happens in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7, 2 through 6. I'll I'll read this for you, because I'm not confident that you can read that from there. So It says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of fate the heart Sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. He's saying essentially that thorns are being burnt up. The crackling of thorns is that they're on fire and they're being burnt up and they're being consumed. They're just making noise in the midst of their impending doom. Um, and he's saying it's like this with a foolish person who, even though they're headed down the wrong path, even though they're headed to hell for eternity, they laugh. 
It's similar to like being thorns being burned up. This is wrong. This is foolish. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Um, hell is a real place. Hell is a scary place where people are tormented for all of eternity, where there will be weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth. Jesus starts to display this here. He's like, woe to you who think that you've got it all together, who act like you have it all together, who laugh in the midst of pain and suffering, for one day you shall weep. Be real with where you're at now. Be real with where God has you. It's dangerous to hide. It's dangerous to play that game. You can hide your whole life and never be found by God, um, never be found by people who, who desire to speak truth into your life. Or you can be honest and real with where you're at, and you can seek the community of believers all around you who seek to love you and seek to further you and push you more toward God and Christ's likeness. A real statement I need to make right now is that nobody in this room, if they are Christians, expects you to be perfect. That's the basis of the gospel, is that we are not perfect and we are in need of a Savior. This is and should be an okay place to not be okay. This is and should be a place where we can be open with each other and say, look, I'm struggling. I'm not perfect. I have a, a problem with sin. Nobody's going to look at you as you say you have a problem with sin and be like, oh my gosh, there's sin in this room? Wow, I thought this was church. Pray to God that that can be true. That we look at you and we look at you in the midst of your sin and say, yeah, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. And we can preach the gospel to each other. And we can say, yeah, Jesus came to save you from that. You don't have to be a slave to that anymore. And we're going to be accountable to each other and help you and bear each other's burdens and walk through this life together. That's the point of the church. To walk through life together, to pursue Jesus together, and to one day arrive in heaven as the bride of Christ. We're here for community. We're here to live life together. We're here to bear each other's burdens and forgive each other and live in community as saved sinners who are in need of grace. Finally, it's dangerous to be a people pleaser. It's dangerous to be a people pleaser. It says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false problem. prophets. Um, kind of contrast the other one earlier for the people didn't speak well of the prophets. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Um, this is kind of like uh, the opposite of being a jerk and people disliking you. If you're being um, overly agreeable, if you're just saying things and doing things to make people happy, to please people and not to seek uh, the glory of God or not to seek to please God and him first and him alone, um, then we're doing things to seek man's praise. Again, if you've grown up in the church, if you've spent much time in the church, you know how to do that. So then the thing to be careful with and the thing to be aware of is not doing that. You're seeking God's glory. You're seeking the praise to praise God. You're seeking to live a life that glorifies God. You're not seeking a life to live a life that glorifies one of the pastors or one of the elders or the leader of your ministry. That's not the person you're seeking to glorify. It's not the person you're seeking to praise from. It's not the person you're seeking to satisfy. 
because a little hint for you is that they are sinners in need of grace too. We can't seek to just people please. Um, We can't seek to not glorify God. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. It's not a good thing. You might think right now that's a good thing. Oh, people, everybody loves me. Everybody loves me. They all say such great things about me. And if you know yourself, you know that most of those things probably aren't true and that you are a sinner. Um, and so you need to stop lying to people. But we have some application here. It's all going to come up at once. Um, live life focused heavenward is the first one. I really like that word heavenward if you haven't noticed. It's in the uh, worship thought and it's also in the application. It's just a really cool word that reminds you to look toward heaven. Live life focused heavenward. Don't be bogged down by the circumstances of this world, Jesus says. Don't be bogged down by simply weeping and desiring. Um, Look to heaven. Look to heaven much, much, much longer, infinitely longer than time on earth. Proverbs says your life on earth is but a breath. It's like a vapor. It's gone. Why would you seek so much to store up things here on this earth when you can seek to store things up in heaven? Be honest in the Christian community. This is a difficult one. It's a difficult one to start. Um, If you haven't been honest, it's a difficult place to come and be like, hey, look, I've been lying to you for years. That's a hard thing to do. But it's what God asks of us. He asks us to be honest in this Christian community. Don't seek the praise of man, but be fully satisfied in Jesus. Don't seek the praise of man, but be fully satisfied in Jesus. We can't come to a place where we look to man's praise. We look to man's... um, man's uh, praise and um, glorifying of us. We can't seek that. We, can, we need to seek God's glory. We need to seek God's praise. Be bold in your faith. Be willing to be hated for the sake of the gospel. Be bold. Be willing to stand and be willing to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yes, that means that you, uh, uh, I think I'm a terrible person and I think that you need Jesus too. That's the truth of the gospel. Hunger and thirst for God and Him alone. Hunger and thirst for God and Him alone. Come to a place where you can say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I desire to be filled with you and you alone. I don't desire to be filled with these things that I've put up as distractions or these things that weigh me down and distract me from you, but rather I desire to be filled up by God, by Jesus and Him alone. Finally, spend time in community. Spend time in community. This is hugely important for any movement in the church, that we spend time together, that we do life together, that we share each other's burdens, that we rejoice over fantastic things, and we mourn over difficult things together. Some of my favorite times in this room have been when people have been baptized. And just being able to rejoice together as a community to see people um, go into the water and, and figuratively die to themselves and be raised again in Christ. That's such a beautiful time. Such a wonderful time to share together. Um, to live that life in community and to rejoice together in that. Thank you for your word and your truth that you are a God who loves us and a God who desires for us to be in community together and community with you. That you help us to look toward eternity and help us to um, come to a place where we aren't satisfied with things on this world. Lord, help us to be fully satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen.